Father, before we start here in your word, we uh, we pray for uh, Justice because he is in a lot of uh, pain and agony with uh, what he's going through there with uh, his eye, and actually he's had uh, high fever and things that he's dealing with there. You know what that is, and uh, pray for uh, comforting and relief uh, for him, Lord, that uh, get through this or get over it, Lord. We uh, know that you heal in all different ways, and sometimes we that our desire would be that you could just take that away. At the same time, Lord, we know you're, you're there, and uh, just uh, give him a lot of ease and relief here. And uh, we're so thankful for uh, Justice as he's been part of our lives for quite a few years now, as he grows up and able to watch him. He's an important cog in, in your machine. We have your holy church, the body of Christ. And uh, so we, we pray for him and uh, all the things that he's going through, the pain and suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we know that uh, someday there will be no pain and sickness and disease at all. It will be totally erased. And that's what we've been talking about. Can you imagine? Can you imagine no where there would be no prayer, no repentance, no confession, no preaching, no teaching, no evangelism, no learning, no witnessing. That would sound like a dead church, wouldn't it? Or something worse. But I'm here to tell you, those are all things that will happen in the future to God's people. Uh, just It doesn't sound right though, does it? It goes right along with no sin, no temptation, no guilt. No arguments, no anger, no weaknesses, perfect pleasure, perfect knowledge, perfect comfort, no mourning, no sickness, no death, none of that. And we will not be praying, at least in the way that we pray now, we will not be repenting of our sin in heaven. We'll be not confessing our sin because it will all be gone. And all the sin we know will be passed away. And you see, there is no preaching in the sense that what we do here because we will have the knowledge that God gives us in an eternal way. And we will continue though to learn from Him. We will not be evangelizing there. This is the only time where we bring good news to a sinful world. And we will not be witnessing because we will be living witnesses walking among uh, living witnesses and we look at Christ. Uh, Lord, it's so good. The Lord has given us a view of what heaven is about, but we can't understand much of it at all. All things will be new. That's the title of this today. We're calling it All Things New, Part 2 got real creative and put part two on it because 
really the text has all things new there and um, things that are mentioned in Revelation 21 and 22 give us tremendous hope. What's new? New heavens, new earth, new bodies. There will be a new universal order. There will be new light. There will be a new temple. There will be a new paradise, the garden of God. Uh, the very climax of God's sovereign plan and purpose will become to an end in the sense of, uh, I guess you could say, redemption history. Because all the redeeming will have been done when He gets the new heavens and the new earth because we will have already been redeemed in our bodies even. God created everything. And God will consummate all things. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And the end really is only the beginning if you compare it to eternity. Well, you know, it's amazing to compare Genesis to Revelation. A lot of comparatives there, yet there are a lot of opposites that happen. Uh, At the beginning of Genesis, you see the very beginning. And in Revelation, you see the completion of God's plan and purpose right on into eternity. It comes to fruition, doesn't it? So let's compare those two books for a moment. The beginning, you have the heaven and the earth. And they were created. In Revelation, you see that the heavens and the earth are destroyed. And then you get new heavens and new earth. A recreation. And we see the start of the reign of Satan early in Genesis. Genesis 3 right there. But also we see in Revelation, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And so you keep comparing those. You know, you think of the entrance of sin came in Genesis and then we see it being banished in Revelation. In Genesis, the judgment of sin was a curse pronounced upon all of creation. Not only mankind, but all of creation. And then in Revelation, we see that that curse is removed entirely. We see that there was a tree of life in the uh, uh, Genesis. And right at creation, the tree of life, and uh, it was given to Adam and Eve. And we see that there is where sin happened and they were forfeited the access into that area of the the Garden of Eden and the the Tree of Life. And we see the Tree of Life at the end of the book of Revelation where the Tree of Life has been removed out of here, this earth, to the place of God. Man was evicted out of that paradise, man is welcomed now into paradise in Revelation. The entrance of death came in Genesis, didn't it? And we will see that death will be removed forever and ever and ever. And we also see Adam getting married to Eve in Genesis. And you know what? the second Adam is going to marry his bride in Revelation. That's us. 
Sorrow comes upon all mankind in Genesis. Sorrow is eliminated forever in Revelation. It's the old story of paradise lost, paradise regained. It's restored. That is the exciting story that we get all through the Bible that God has given us. And Revelation 21 and 22 gives us more than enough to know that there are some really good things to be looking forward to. We can't even explain it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, great God, thanks for the words that You've given that we will be reading today. The Word of God points to the truth. The faithful One, Christ, makes it all possible for us to enter into this glorious, brilliant place that we look forward to. And it's not just a place. It is right in the midst of You, Lord. Of the triune God, and your people. What a, I guess you could say, Lord, a future that you have planned for us. And Lord, help us to understand a little bit further how much you've graced us and be able to read this and understand somewhat what you have planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the text. Stand. Revelation 21, verse 4, which we are very familiar with, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And He said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You can be seated. Are we excited? No more. No more. No more tears. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. They've all passed away. Because of a lot of things there, and you notice that uh, we notice the negatives there. No, no more. How do you describe heaven? Well, he starts here in chapter 21 of saying, well, it won't be like what you know now. We know much of life is takes in all of those things right there. Those are kind of negative things, but it's actually kind of positive when it says no more will they be there. Uh, we can't understand what we cannot experience. We've never lived on an on a earth here where there hasn't been some kind of 
tears or death or mourning or crying or pain or all of those negative things. So he gets us on a level of where we can understand it. And the best what we can understand is saying, you know, all those things there, they're never going to be around anymore. There's a difference here now. There's a difference what we will experience between now and then. There will be an experience then, but it won't be like what we experience here. It's much different. You know, we're in 1 John where it said, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. So what is it like to be like Him? Well, we have just a vague general picture, I guess, of what it will be like. What's the reason for that, that we can't really know what all that is? Well, we don't have the capacity in our minds to be able to understand those things. They're far beyond the thinking of mankind. Think of the intelligence that He's given us now that's been tainted by sin and all the effects of sin. But yet, you know what? It's amazing what man can do with that little mind that God has given us. It's tremendous, isn't it? So we can understand some of the things of God with the mind that He has given us right here. We want to have the mind of Christ. You know, the more that we know who He is, we want to think more like Christ, don't we? Well, it says no more tears. That means there will never be a tear shed. You won't be going in to the eternal state where He's wiping it away because there's no tears there. You see, that will have already been done. And there's no more uh, any kind of judgment or where you feel guilty. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Or I did do this. And you weep over it and such. No, that's, uh, that's over. That's done. That time is finished. He wiped those away already. And, you know, sometimes we have tears of joy. Uh, our joy will be expressed in a much better way. So, it's, they're all wiped away. They're gone. They're passed away. Went away with the old earth. Everything like that is, is done. How about death? No more death, right? It's the greatest of all the curses. We hate death. Never again will we have to hear about the death of a loved one. Never have to see in the paper where you have the obituaries and there will be no funerals, no undertakers, no cemeteries, no gravestones, nothing of that. We won't even know what that is. That will be long gone. We won't be even thinking about the loved ones that have passed away. We will be in such a perfect state that that kind of thing is gone. Right now we know the wages of sin is death. Death is still here. But we're Christians. Shouldn't we get to shouldn't we be at a point where we wouldn't really ever have to die physically? No, you see, we have to get rid of these bodies to enter into the eternal state. It's still there. Diseases are still there. Sicknesses are still there. Um at the same time we know that the power of sin is broken. We trust in the Lord when these things happen. They go on. We can't ignore it. It does happen. But at the same time, we take it in the light of Christ and say, well, if that be the case, we're Christians. Everything should be perfect. 
And they will be. But we have to understand, we have to get through this life trusting in Christ. Trusting that He'll take care of us. Our physical bodies. And when it comes to die and be by some sickness, it's still for the fact that He's going to make us pass right there to be with Him and then later get the new bodies. There can never be death again when this happens. In the eternal state, there will never be death. It is erased. It's gone. And everything else that goes along with it, the tears, the crying, the pain, death, you go on and on. Think about all those negative things and they're all gone. All gone. Absolutely all gone. Never again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54. So there's a picture of living a Christian life that is a good thing. I wouldn't uh, ever want the experience of my Christian life just to be at a very low level. I want it to be at the fullest. But, yes, we can suffer. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does. But eventually we know it will be wiped away. And that's what we really look to. You look at 1 Corinthians 15, it's about the resurrection. That whole chapter is and right at the end of it. He says in 54, But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality. That's what will be, immortal. Right now we are mortal. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Not even a sting of death anymore. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that victory now, but ultimately we will experience it in its fullest way. We are experiencing the Christian life and it's beautiful, isn't it? But there are chinks in the armor as we go through the battles. But it's okay. Did you read that? We have victory. We look in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Death, the worst of all the enemies. The worst curse is thrown into the lake of fire. Did you like that thought? Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. You know what? This is good news, isn't it? This is the best news you could ever hear. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, right here, us, right now, He Himself likewise also partook of the same that through death, His death, He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. He had the power of death he broke that power of sin for us. Verse 15, And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, He does not give help to angels, but He gives help to the descendant of Abraham. He had to be made like His brethren in all things so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Christ did that. He went through death. This is the God-man who died for us. There's the good news. 
And the good news extends all the way right on in to eternity there, doesn't it? No more death. The next one is there's no mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. I think we sang a song just earlier that had to deal with mourning, right? M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Uh, tears will not exist. Mourning will not exist. Anything that leads to crying, to tears, it, it doesn't exist. Anything that leads up to that. It's all because of the cross. The cross of Christ. No more crying there. Soon or very soon we'll see the King. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, it says there in our Revelation 21 passage. You know what? There's a healing promise. Healing for salvation and healing for bodies. And in one sense, that happens now because He does heal us. He heals us sometimes supernaturally. Sometimes through natural ways. Whatever He does, He does heal. He's a healing God. We're thankful for that. Look in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely our griefs, remember the mourning, the crying, the tears, He Himself bore. He took all of our tears, all of our suffering, He put it on Him. Where? At the cross. And our sorrows He carried. You ever had sorrows? You know what? They were taken to the cross. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken. It's the way that we saw Him as a stricken man, a smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. He got the punishment for our sins. It's been taken away from us. It was put on Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. And yes, there is a physical healing. Sometimes we get healed right on the spot. We prayed for justice a while ago that that would happen. God can do that. He does do it. It doesn't do it all the time though. We live in these fleshly bodies. And one day, all of these things that we just described will be taken care of. They are in a sense now, but it's something that we don't always see or feel. We are human and we are mortals still yet. Which means we have to die before all of this comes to complete fruition. To get that glorified body. But it's nice to know that God took care of all of that we're at. At the cross. We are healed spiritually. We're healed physically. But it all comes to its culmination in the eternal state. So that's what we can do is somebody could say, well, if you're a Christian, why would we have to die then? Well, it goes back to this curse of sin on all of mankind. And they'll say, well, if He's a good God, you would never have to die. And then you get to explain the good news. You tell the bad news about sin and then the good news. And if you, while you're at it, go right on up to, through the eternal state. That good news. 
Because that's really where it's all going to. Sometimes we're short-sighted and we expect everything. We have disappointments, don't we? That's a good one that we, we actually did, I think, a message uh, or two. We did kind of a series on disappointment one time. Back with probably a couple years ago. And we've all suffered disappointment. Everybody suffers disappointment. Because you're expecting something more and it doesn't happen. But ultimately, no more disappointments. No more anxiety. All that stuff is gone. It's great to know, isn't it? The, the promise is found in the atonement and it's fulfilled. Eventually, death, sin, it's gone someday. Sounds like a funeral message, doesn't it? An upbeat funeral message. Good text to go to. Right at the end of verse 4, after saying all that, he says, the first things passed away. We already talked about that. The new heavens, the new earth. <clears throat> we know that Satan, false prophet, the beast, all unbelievers, sin, death, hell, all of that is thrown into the lake of fire. And then we have heaven for all the ones who are the overcomers. The ones who thirst. And we'll get to that in a moment. These are believers. But we also talked about the new heavens and new earth. While there was a great white throne judgment, even at that time, the elements were burned up. Old things passed away. And then verse 5, And he who sits on the throne, that's God, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Hey, John. I'm making all things new. By the way, he says, right, for these words are faithful and true. Uh, John, it's almost like John is in awe. And his <laughs> mouth is just open. And he's just looking at this. And he says, John, write this down. I don't know, I might be uh, taking a little bit of license there. But behold, John, look, write, write this. This is coming from the faithful and true. That's Jesus, it's true. Uh, I'm making all things new. Let's do that. That's number two, isn't it? Uh, verse 5 and 6 is all things new. Uh, after he said these words of faithful and true, then he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the... Uh, and I'll stop there. It's a completely different creation. That's what we said last week. Whenever we deal with new... It's new in quantity, or quality, sorry. It's new. It's different. It's something that is fresh. It's a shiny, brand new car that you just got off the lot. It's brand new. It's different than your old car, right? Well, this new creation is going to be different. Um, he says all things new. That's not some things will be new and some things will be old. It means all things will be new. We have a new body. We have a new name. We'll have a new song. We'll be in a new place called New Jerusalem on a new earth where there's new heavens. All freshly painted perfectly. It's new. All the revelations that we will continue to get from God from there on. 
It'll be new every morning. All day long. New, new, new. We will never stop learning and investigating what all is in the universe. It's vast. Imagine the new creation not tainted by sin. We'll be able to go if we want to, to go anywhere we want at any time and be there when we want, like the next second. Boom, we're there. In and out. I guess, like Christ moved here on earth, uh, you know, everything will be different. It'll be new. A totally new existence. You ever, everybody here has probably lived in a house and then moved to another house and then moved to another house. But you ever look forward to that next new house that you're moving into? Because, you know, you, you've got an idea what all it's going to, to take to do to get everything there. But at the same time, I'd be glad to get to that new house, right? This is a new existence. We look forward to this. And His words are faithful and true. So what you're hearing here is not just pie in the sky. He says, John, I know you're seeing this right now. It's almost unbelievable. He's trying to put it in a human language for us to be able to understand what it is that He's seeing. I don't think He can do that. Paul said He went to the third heaven and saw it. And he says He couldn't talk about it. There were no words that He could be done. Matter of fact, God put a little bit of a stinger in Him. A thorn in the flesh to keep Him from being prideful and telling everybody that He had been there. <laughs> it must be something. Paul himself couldn't even do it. John tries to, tries the best that he can, and he does the very best because he has the Holy Spirit who is inspiring him to write this. This is the best that it gets on this side of heaven. It's pretty good. I like it. I go here often because... We know this is our new home we're getting ready to move into. It's a new neighborhood. Listen, I think it was a, it was a big daddy weave. Uh, Mercy Me, they wrote some songs about heaven, and I think one of them was called Neighborhood Penny, moving into a new neighborhood, something like that. Um, perfect neighborhood. My words are faithful and true. Revelation 3, 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is Christ. And He's introduced as the faithful and true. What you're hearing is absolute truth. How much truth do we get today? <laughs> you can pretty well discount about everything you hear unless it comes from God's truth or somebody that is actually sane and has absolute truth to give. But He is the faithful and true. Chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, and He who sat on it is called faithful and true. We can count on Him. He's faithful. And He is true. 
I am the way and the truth. Life. Uh, John 17, 17. There's his great prayer to the Father. And he has this prayer for the disciples and for us today, even right now. Sanctify them in the truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth. Are you being sanctified today? That means being set apart. If you're learning and as you read through the scripture, and as we give on these, put are put on the thoughts of who he is and what is uh, what he's about, we see that this is all truth. You are being sanctified. You are getting a little bit more closer to Christ, even. Uh, Luke twenty-one thirty-three. Speaking of truth. Luke 21.33 Heaven and earth will pass away. We know what that is now, don't we? The old heavens and old earth. It's going to pass away. It's been here for a long time. It's been here longer than you. But it's going to pass. But my words not pass away. His truth. Thy word is truth. His Word is always here for eternity. So all the promises that He's given will extend right on in through eternity. It will always be here. These bodies will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But not His words, not His truth. He is faithful and true. So we go back to our Revelation 21. Then He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things new. Everything is done. Everything is passed away that is supposed to be gone. And now he has nothing but new there. And what he's saying when it is, it is done. It is finished. It reminds us of the cross, doesn't it? That means the work of salvation by Christ that was planned before the foundation of the world was done at the cross. That doesn't mean everything else is done. Uh, and all of prophecy and everything that is to come in our lives, a lot of people will say everything was done at the cross. And there's nothing else to happen except for Christ to come back. And I say... No, because in Scripture there's quite a few things that have to happen before He comes back. And even after He comes back, and judgments and such, and then the eternal state. And that's the way we followed it all the way through this book. I hopeful, I'm hopeful that we have stayed faithful and true to God's Word in what this means, other than it's just it's heaven in your mind. And the kingdom is now, that the time that we're living in, and the king rules your life, and he's ruling the world. Well, in a sense, that is true. 
But if that's come to culmination, I am very disappointed. How about you guys? We know better. We need new bodies. So the people that say that, which are very good theologians, by the way, and that shows you they're human. So am I. And I can be wrong. God's Word is always faithful. It's always true. But I pray that what we say here and what we do would be, would be faithful to the Lord and would be true. And if I am wrong, I say, Lord, forgive me for interpreting that wrong and then telling you guys wrong things. That's, uh, that would be a travesty. I don't want to do that. That's not to say that I'm perfect and everything that I tell you is perfect, but I can tell you what we read from is perfect. But I'd like to think that I'm 99.9% accurate. <laughs> but I'm fallible. And so I don't want to get the view of, hey, I'm up here bragging and everything that I'm saying is absolutely correct. You have to examine everything and test it out, so please do that. We... Uh, not only are invited to that, all of us should be doing that constantly. Or maybe it's not necessarily all the stuff that's there. Maybe there's more to be added uh, you, uh, as far as your own understanding. And that's where it's so key to be reading and studying on our own the rest of the week, right? Okay. Faithful and true. He says it's done. The work of salvation was done at the cross. But not, as far as the future, that hasn't come about, even though the title deed has been earned by Christ. He will come back to take that title deed. And that's what we looked at all through Revelation. And all the seals are broken. Trumpet judgments. You know, you think of all the judgments that we worked through. And the bowl judgments. So now we have come to this point, folks. And he says, it's done. After the great white throne judgment, you have the new heavens, new earth. It's done. Finished. Tell tell us die. It's reached its goal. So what's left after that? Everything. <laughs> All things are now new. Man, we really are going to have a fantastic time there. And it will never come to a close. Revelation chapter 1, 8 says that He's the Alpha and the Omega. He creates and He ends it. Not always, that always bothered me. He's the ending. He is the Omega. The last letter of the Greek alphabet. He, he is the ending? That This is it? This is the ending? Yeah, as far as salvation, redemption, history is concerned. One eight says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He's proclaiming His deity here, folks. He's saying, I am God. I created and I'll bring it all to fruition. Says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. He is at that time, as He proclaims to John. He was, and isn't that He died. He came here to earth and He died. And He will come back. And He is called Almighty. He is God. He is Deity. That's a good verse to remember about the Deity of Christ. 
I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am. I'm the first and the last. He says it in Revelation. He says it in the Old Testament in Isaiah. The beginning and the end. First and the last. The Alpha and the Omega. And so, we know it is done. He's saying redemptive history is finished. I created this and now I have completed the great purpose of the eternal sovereign God. I am the one who is the origin. And I am the one who is the completion, says Jesus Christ. It's completed. Um, we have to go to 1 Corinthians 15.24 and here's where you will see this complement what we just read. 1 Corinthians 15, resurrection chapter that we were just at momentarily ago. And it's at verse 24. Oh, back up, verse 23. But each in his own order, it's about resurrection. Christ, the first fruits, he came to life, he resurrected. After that, those who are Christ at his coming, he will resurrect all the saints at his coming. So he's the first fruits. And then everything else is like the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, right on and on and on and on to how many believers there are that he saves. Those who are Christ. Then here we go. Now here's what we have. Then comes the end. At his coming. This, this is all like you think of the second coming and uh, you think of the day of the Lord which extends for many more days or even years. thousand years. It's all at that time. He's giving a general summation. When Christ comes back, sometime at His coming, then will come the end when He hands over the kingdom. After you've had that kingdom, He hands it to God and Father, which He has abolished all rule and all authority and power. There is a time where we will be sitting on the throne with Christ ruling and reigning. And we said, who would we be ruling? It would be the saints that are on the millennial, in the millennial kingdom, the ones who inherit that kingdom. It will be the ones who are born of them at that time. We saw that there's sin during that time, so it's not the eternal state. So we are ruling and reigning with Christ too. Eventually all that... Uh, that rule and authority and power and even Christ as He has as being the judge and such overall it will all be packaged up finished it's all brought up to God the Father for He must reign until that's Christ He has put all His enemies under His feet and that's death is the final enemy and Satan and just everything, all Hades, and it's thrown into the lake of fire. And now it, the old heavens and the old earth, and now you have new heavens and earth. And that's when he does this. He says the last enemy that will be abolished is death. 
For He has put all things in subjection under His feet. So God put everything under His authority and power. Under His feet. But when He says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that He is accepted who put all things in subjection to Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him, so that God may be all in all. And now, we shall see God for all that He is. It will have finally been done. And now we're ready to move on into this eternal, eternal life that we have a home. Already in, it's invested in, right? Christ started redemptive history and He ends it. It's over. It's the end. John is told to write this down because this is eternal perfection. He could have stopped right there. It is done. How about amen? And then that's it. The end of the book of Revelation. He could have stopped right there. He could have stopped before he started writing Revelation. But you know what? He wants to tell us that all things are going to be new. He wants to tell us that there will be perfect bliss. Now, that was all things new. Number two, right? Number three, who gets to live there? Verse 6 and 7. Right at the end of 6. I will give to the one who thirst from the spring of the water of life without cost. Who gets to live there? Well, there are people who know their need. They recognize they have a great need for a great Savior. They recognize that they are thirsty. When you are thirsty, do you ever recognize it? I mean, you've been outside all day long, eight hours, working outside, and I hope and you haven't gone eight hours without drinking some water during that time. Especially when it's like 95 degrees. Well, you would know you're thirsty probably within a couple hours. Three hours, four hours, five hours past. Somebody's going to know finally that, well, I need to get a drink of water. I'm thirsty. So they go after the water to drink. And uh, if, they've, if it's been a long time while they've thirsted, they can't wait to get to the fountain. They can't wait to get to that living well, that living water. So we turn to Matthew 5, verse 6. Who is the one that's going to go into heaven? Well, it's the one who knows that he has great need. Matter of fact, you know, he's desperate and he knows it. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Verse 6, 
These are the blessed are's, the beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, you're blessed. If you've hungered for thir- you know, His righteousness, if you've thirsted for righteousness, you shall be satisfied. If you have Christ, now you're satisfied. You know nothing else meets your need. You are thirsty for Him. If you've gone quite a few days without hearing His Word or listening uh, to a, uh, an audio or watching a video or watch actually better reading the Scripture, you get really hungry and thirsty and isn't it uh, mighty nice. It's so refreshing to open it up and go, oh, I need to be here. I need, This is where it's at. Why did I forget? Anyway, Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Who gets to go into heaven? 55 says, Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you, who have no money, come, buy and eat. Doesn't that kind of stumble you over? Hey, if you have no money, I want you to buy this. What? Give up everything that you've got. Buy and eat. He'll explain that in a moment. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Be willing to give up everything that you have. But it's not money, really. It's not any cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? true bread. And your wages for what does not satisfy. You're out there looking for all this other good stuff that the earth offers and you find out it's worthless. This doesn't satisfy my soul. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. We will never thirst again in abundance. Well, we go on and look at Psalm 42, 1 and 2. For Isaiah, Psalm 42, we all have read this many times, we've heard this many times, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When I shall come and appear before God, We've sang that so many times, haven't we? As the deer pants for the water. So, that is one who actually is going to be in heaven with this thirsting. Go to John 7:37. One could say, thirsting and what? Jesus goes to a feast. There are people that are all around him, and they had one particular day where the priest would have this uh, water, this vessel. It was like uh, representing the true living water, and so they would have this symbolic day and this symbolic done. Well, Christ is there, and in his person that day there in Jerusalem. 
And John 7.37 says this, Now on the last day, the grace day of this feast that they were having, Jesus stood and cried out. There were people around. Can you imagine somebody all of a sudden crying out amongst a crowd? It's kind of uh, loud probably at that time. A lot of people, they're all around and all of a sudden he boisterously comes out with, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me as the Scripture said, from His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Come to Me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Come to Me and drink from this fountain. If you're thirsty, you need this. You have a need. You've seen it. Now go for it. Revelation 22:17 The spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost do all those verses add up and there we are again. Come. Come freely. Come now. And I know in our theology we believe and we are elected before the foundation of the world. But on the flip side, here's the way the human views it. We are to invite everybody to come to this feast. To salvation. Come. Please come. We have news for you. That's what it's about. We still have evangelization here, don't we? We still have witnessing here. We still have a need for learning and preaching and uh, proclaiming the Gospel, praying, repenting, confessing. That's all part of worship. We get to do that here. One of these days, a lot of these things that we're doing now, there won't be a need that will already be built into us in a way we'll never be ever tempted and want to do that. Those kind of things that would be sinful. And we invite people to come in. So therefore, somebody might say, okay, I've heard all about the election. Well, I'm probably not the elect, so it doesn't matter. I'm I'm just going to go ahead and live the way that I want to live. You don't understand. Come. You're weary. You're heavy laden. Jesus says, come. So they can't have an excuse of saying, well, I'm not the elect, so I'm going to go to hell, and that's just the way they don't have that option. They don't know if they're elect or not. We don't know if they're elect or not, but that doesn't matter. What matters is the news of God. So the really thirsty person will need a drink very badly. And whatever it takes to get that refreshing drink of water, one would do, wouldn't they? If you were out in a desert and you were down to the point of crawling and almost to the point of death and all of a sudden you saw a well right underneath a tree, an oasis, and all you had to do was just 
crank the well a couple of times and water would come out and there would be a cup there. You would do it, wouldn't you? If you had any strength left, God gives us that strength. Such a spiritual passion that we would cry out passionately. So that is one kind or one characteristic of a person who is in heaven. It says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And here's the second characteristic. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The one who overcomes. The child of God who believes in Christ is overcoming by faith. He hears the word about Christ. He comes to Christ knowing His great need and He has nothing to offer God. And that's what God wants to hear. I have nothing. I am depending upon Your mercy to this wretched soul. I'm depending on Your grace, Your love, and what You did on the cross because I can't do it. And that's what God desires to hear. If you've trusted in Christ, you've done that. You thirsted so much that you went to Him that way. The one who overcomes, the one, what do you believe? What do you believe about Christ? Well, you believe that He's the Creator. You believe that He came here to die for your sin. That He came here to resurrect. He came here to ascend. He came here to come back again for His people. We believe in the Word of God. We believe everything there is about Christ. That is a believer. You overcome in that way. And in First John, we've done it many times because we've seen in Revelation it says the overcomer, the overcomer. Well, we looked at that. Just in case we forgot, we turned to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John, the epistle. And um, Oh, this was another text. But in 4 and 5, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. What is it? that overcomes the world. This is the Nike. That's how we get the tennis shoes. Nike. (laughs) Victory, right? It means victory. That overcomes the world. What is it? Our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes. Believe and faith are the same thing. That Jesus is the Son of God. That's the overcomer. He is your life. You trust Him him for everything. He is going to be the one that we're going to be living forever with. The parched character of the soul recognizes the sinfulness. The broken and contrite heart happens out of that. Recognizes the sinfulness. Realizes that 
I am morally bankrupt. I have nothing. I need God. I need Christ. They come begging. They are meek. They are lowly. They are humble. They need spiritual water. They exercise their faith. They put all their trust. They actually are betting, if we could say that, their whole life on what Christ did and what He's doing for us now and what He'll do. They're putting everything on that. Laying it all out. And I'm not uh, advocating gambling. Because this is really not a gamble. It's a sure thing. And when we're sold on that, that's what we do. We, we know that's a sure thing. You can't lose. <laughs> you, you cannot lose. You are a winner. Your victory overcomes. So, we have... What is a believer? Or what is a Christian? Well, he thirsts and he overcomes. He thirsts, he overcomes. That's what's put here. There are many other things, but it's trusting in Christ, isn't it? That's it. He believes in Christ. Puts him to his life. By the way, we talked about the one who overcomes. Who will be there and who will not be there. And I'm not even going to spend more than 30 seconds on this. Those who have not overcome the world. They're sucked in by the world. They live by the things of the world. The character of these people are listed here. They're the cowardly. They are the ones who do not endure. They don't continue in the Word. It can be people that hear it and say they believe and then they really don't put their lives into Christ. He doesn't really mean anything to them. They are unbelieving. They're abominable. They're murderers. They're immoral. They're sorcerers. They're idolaters. They're liars. And they will be put into the lake of fire. There are many lists in uh, the Bible about that. I'm not going to go there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, it talks about the ones who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And they are the ones who practice these things here that we looked in Revelation 21, 8. Idolaters, sorcerers, uh, that I think is dealing with drugs, folks. Uh, that's really what this world is all about now. And it runs on the money of drugs. It's never in this uh, life of the world has there been such drugs as there's been now. And uh, I'm telling you, it is unbelievable how far it's stretched there. They are sorcerers. They're idolaters. They are murderers. They're immoral. They lie. Just look throughout Scripture and see those people. They will not inherit. Now, the one who overcomes have an inheritance. Because it says he who overcomes will inherit these things. What things? All the things new. Everything that the Son of God inherits, we will get. All things we inherit new heavens, new earth, new bodies, new everything. Wow. And first Peter chapter one verse four it says we get an inheritance which is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's will not fade away. It's laid up in heaven right now. It's for us as we know that that's what's waiting for us. And it'll never burn up. It'll never fade away. 
He'll never go, our inheritance is forever. And that's all we know. Things that fade away here. He gets something new. It goes to old and then eventually you don't even know what happens to it. Same thing with our bodies. And here we are reflecting on this. And guys, this is a natural thing as we get ready now for the Lord's Supper, our communion today. He says, you will inherit these things. And listen to this. I will be His God. I'll be their God. And He, us, the church, will be my Son. Christ is that in fulfillment. And we too. That's talking about the overcomer. Christ overcame. We overcame. We are overcomers. Today we're overcoming things, aren't we? We're defeating. We're shattering things. Doesn't look like it. That's what's happening. And He's molding us in the way that we need to be. And then eventually He'll say, okay, I took out as much as I can. Here we go. Did you know, speaking of this, where He says, I will be His God. I'll be His Son. He's our God. To Abraham, an Abrahamic covenant. There was covenants that God made with His people. The Abrahamic covenant is the love covenant that God had for bringing us into His family. He made a promise and an oath through Abraham. And He said to Abraham when He did that, I will be His God and He will be My Son. All those who believe... See, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, justified by faith. If you believe in Him, you are in the Abrahamic covenant. There was another covenant made in the Bible. We happen to be studying Him on Tuesday night in 2 Samuel and His name is David. And there was a Davidic covenant and he said to David, I will be his God and he will be my son. And he fulfills that Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. And to the Messiah, the very Son of God, you know what he said? To the ultimate covenant, and it's the eternal covenant, it takes everything in. Here's the God-man that he made a promise to. He said, I will be his God and he shall be my son. These are the three that all were united into the covenant purposes of God. This is actually tying in now from our message right into the Lord's Supper or communion with Him. And last week we had a passage that dealt with communing with Him where it said right at the end of verse 3, He will dwell among us and they shall be His people and God Himself will be among them. And now we get... I will be His God and He'll be my Son right into that family. So the bread and the wine and the communion service that we have here today represent the very consummation of the covenant that was made with Abraham, with David, and those promises that are eternal promises and they are found in the Messiah who is the mediator of the covenant between God and man. So when we take this today, the wine and the bread, what is it saying? We are 
remembering how we are brought into this covenant that we did nothing. Christ did it all. And what we see in the bread is the bread, the body of Christ on that cross and how He suffered for it and died. He gave up Himself, His body. And then we know the fruit of the vine is representing the very blood of Christ that was spilt. The blood was shed. And it removed all hindrances and it brought us into eternal fellowship into, into Christ Himself. And that's why for me and for you as now we sit at the Lord's table, it is a highlight when we take this because it's saying what we have been brought into. When we take of the Lord's table, it's at the height. We reflect now upon the consummation the completion, the fruition of the purposes of God when we do this. One day in the kingdom, the kingdom to come, we will take that with Christ the King. And He'll be with us. Until then, by faith we do this. And this is a great part of the worship and so we will now move in to that part.